0: I confessed to you last week the problem with this series title uh the church i'd like to attend uh, because church isn't something we attend church is who we are together so we're going to start going to talk about the people part of god people and purpose uh to which we're committed as a church life but to kind of get a running start at this i've been thinking about the tough year it's been for all of us it's been a tough year obviously a global pandemic that's still going on And then there have been a lot of politicized responses to the pandemic and still some days I don't know what to believe. That's almost been more stressful than the pandemic. And then there's financial stresses as millions of people in our country have lost their jobs. And there's been educational and social disruption as schools have been closed. And there's been racial pain that's resurfaced with the killing of George Floyd nearly a year ago. And then there's been street violence through whether because of violent protests or just the pulling back of policing and the rise of crime in many of our cities. And on top of that, we walked through an incredibly polarizing election season last, last, last November and the months leading up to it, lest our nation even more divided than when we went into those elections. But I'm also... I'm also really touched by the fact that we've been introduced to new kind of words this last year that have to do with isolation. Things like shelter-in-place orders, lockdowns, quarantines. I know people who have had several two-week quarantines they've had to endure just because of people they've been around who might have had COVID. I mean, this this idea of being isolated is, is incredibly toxic. It's... It's just very devastating to our emotional our, and our, even our spiritual health, as we'll see today. That's why we need people. Now, the late Senator John McCain, he was a prisoner of war for five years in North Vietnam. He was, they would regularly take him out of his cell and beat him. And he was denied medical treatment for two broken arms and a broken leg and chronic dysentery. And at one point during those five years, they They put him in a small isolation cell and completely cut off any human contact for two years. And John McCain later said, there is something I discovered far worse than physical pain. It's the pain of isolation. In fact, in his own words, isolation crushes your spirit and weakens your resistance more effectively than any other form of mistreatment. Isolation. And so all kinds of studies have now been done in America of the effects of isolation on people. And and, and one of the most common results has been this, that people with close friendships, people with close friendships are far less likely to die early. Can you imagine that? That made one church almost adopt the motto, join a small group or die. Yeah, not a threat it's just how God made us so we come to our description of the church I think we'd all love to be a part of and uh, it's the verse we did some work in last week and next week again but this week we're gonna look at the middle part of that verse it's Ephesians 4 verse 16 Ephesians 4 is a very remarkable chapter and uh, in verse 16 it says from him that's Christ the whole body, it's you and I, the church, from him, the whole body, and our focus today, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. That's the one another part. That's the relational part of it. We're joined and held together. We're not in isolation. And what happens then, connected to the head, Christ, connected to one another, with the ten of eyes and linked arms, two of our core values then the body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work, that's our purpose. So we diagrammed this verse last week in these three concentric circles. The inner circle, Christ, he's the head. It all starts with a relationship with him. Everything about the kingdom of God is relational. Jesus didn't die for programs, he died for real people, including you, and it starts with you and Jesus. And And then around that comes circle two joined and held together by every supporting ligament. That's the people of Christ. So you have Christ, the people of Christ, and then the third circle, the work of Christ, or Christ's purpose. That's why he says that the body grows and builds itself up in love. The church grows and builds itself up in love as every part does its work. It's that circle two part that actually in this remarkable chapter, chapter four of Ephesians, it's the circle two part that Paul talks most about. Of, of those three circles in this chapter he talks most about that joined and held together peace and how we are called to life together and in fact in talking about circle 2 in Ephesians 4 he talks about the three kinds of relationships that you and I need and that th- that's the heart of what we, I want to talk with you about I, I know I need three kinds of relationships in my life I believe you need three kinds of relationships in your lives and Paul will unpack these for us in this chapter and, and the first one is that you and I, and this is delightful, by the way, this is not bad. You can all smile right now behind those masks. We all need encouragers. Can I hear an amen in the house? Yeah. We need people who just breathe. I like encouragement. The middle of the English word encouragement is just the word courage. People who just breathe encouragement, just breathe courage into us. Encouragement's incredibly energizing. And so in verse 29, we just read verse 16, but in 29 of Ephesians 4, Paul says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful, what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, could you imagine being a part of a church where nothing unwholesome ever comes out of people's mouths? Wow. Yeah. Imagine being a part of a family like that. You know, so if you're a college student, uh, out of your mouth, you never curse your roommate out. If you're in middle school or high school, with your mouth, you're never making fun of other kids. If you're married and you're a guy, you're never telling jokes about your wife in public or in private, especially if you want to live to tell about it. Or if you're a wife, you know there's verbal and nonverbal communication? My wife gets me every time. I'm sitting across the table when she does this. this It's nonverbal communication. But every time, uh, she does it less now. But, (laughs) and she's not here today, so (laughs) here we go. (laughs) I'll say something typically dumb. And instead of saying anything, she'll sit across the table from me and just roll her eyes, you know. Oh, that gets me. Or or when occasionally she would just say verbally what rolling my eyes means (laughs) about what I think about what you just said. What if nothing unwholesome ever came out of our mouths, but we marshaled these mouths of ours only to say things which Build others up according to their needs, Paul said, that it may truly benefit those who listen. Now, I have to come honest with you. I need critical, I need constructive criticism. I need critical feedback in my life. I'm I'm not objective enough and I have blind spots. And if I'm gonna reach my potential, I, I truly, I truly need you to be constructively critical with me at times. Well, always, I guess. Because I I grow, I learn through constructive criticism. But here's what I've learned about criticism. Criticism has this nasty way of not energizing me. (laughs) In fact, it does the opposite. So I'll be lying in bed at 2.30 in the morning thinking about what my latest critic said about me, uh, wondering if they're the only person in my life who's willing to be honest with me, and they're probably right, and I know that criticism isn't always right because we have a way of unloading our unresolved issues on other people. And, 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 and so, you know, you've got to sort out when you're criticized, you've got to sort out, well, how much is just their issues and how much is something I really need to work on? That's why I always need other people in my life to help me sort through those things. But I'll be lying in bed, and, and I just noticed that criticism is not energizing me in that moment. Criticism is making, if anything, it's making me feel like giving up. It's like, yeah, they're right, I'm just not good at that. You know, and, and when I'm just not good at something, I just wanna give up. It doesn't energize me to try to be better. On the other hand, this past week, I, I, I got a, an email from somebody, he doesn't attend our church, I haven't talked to him in months and months, and it was about another subject, But just at the just there was just one short paragraph at the end of his email after the business part was done. And he just said something to me that was I just found so encouraging. And 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 he just said it in a way often you don't usually hear it said. And it had just happened. Have you ever had that? People with their mouths or with their typing fingers say something to you that's just exactly the issue you're struggling with and it just breaks a lie inside. And I want to tell you, I read that, and first of all, I admit, it's still in my inbox. I didn't delete it yet, because I've probably gone back four or five times and just read it again. Why? Because I just found those two little sentences of encouragement were so energizing to me. It's like, it just makes me want to be better in every area. It's just, yeah, oh man, you think that? I just want to go for it even more. So criticism is needed in our lives, but it it never energizes us. And you've got to be very careful how you criticize other people. But what if we lived in a culture where nothing unwholesome ever comes out of our mouths? And only that, even if it has to occasionally be constructive criticism, only that which builds up the other and meets their needs. I I mean, I just need energizing by the people around me. I need encouragers in my life. So no wonder Hebrews said in Hebrews 3.13, be but encourage one another daily as long as it is called quote unquote today. So you look at your calendar, you come to the obvious conclusion, today is today and immediately you know, this is an opportunity, another day God's given us, another day to let words come out of my mouth that build up and encourage the people around me so we all need encouragers that's not hard to understand and this one's not hard to understand either we all need empathizers in our lives we need people who uh, i hate the cliche but feel our pain i think that was a president clinton line i feel your pain but that's more than something to go just roll your eyes at. I appreciate the many of you with my mom passing away over Easter and just all the stuff I'm still dealing with the last couple of weeks. I mean, so many of you have just, you, 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 you haven't tried to tell me to cheer up, you, you, you haven't preached at me, you haven't distanced yourself from me, but, 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 but you've just said, pastor, I'm so sorry And if there's anything we can do, let us know. We just don't want you to be alone. Now, Paul hints at this in Ephesians 4, verse 2. Where he says, be completely humble and gentle. So this is our church we'd like to attend, chapter chapter 4 of Ephesians. And he starts this way, be completely humble and gentle. This is our disposition. This is the way we kind of come across to each other. And then he said, be patient. And then the part of this verse I really don't like sometimes bearing with one another in love he doesn't say be patient but do feel permission to preach at people and change them if they don't meet your expectations now isn't that a delightful awful prospect that sometimes there are people in our lives that we just got to plain put up with just bear with and he's talking here about much more than just empathy but This is somewhat what empathy is all about. It's just saying, I want you here. My agenda is not to fix you. It's just to be sure you're not alone in your pain. And I'm gonna bear with you even in your pain. Even when you can't give me a lot back right now. I'm gonna just bear with you in your pain. So I was listening recently to one of the most famous pastors in America. And, uh, and, uh, he 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 experienced an incredible tragedy in in his life and uh his name's pastor rick warren of saddleback church i used to pastor in southern california about a half hour drive from that church i saw firsthand the incredible impact that that church had in southern california and and pastor rick had a son who struggled all his life with mental illness but he and Kay, his wife just loved this son and then something tragic happened just a few years ago. As an adult, even though, even though their son loved Jesus and had actually led other people to faith in Christ, mental illness just tore at him. And one day, he had a especially hard day when he was all alone and he shot himself. Rick says Kay and I had been trying to reach him by, the, by phone and there was no answer, it was very unusual. So after about a day, day and a half, we went over to his house. We knocked on the door, and there was no answer. Hadn't heard from him for quite a while now. And so they called 911. The police came, and and they broke down the door and went in, and their worst nightmare unfolded in front of them. There they found He said it was a very gory scene. They found their son's dead body. He said words could not describe the utter agony that Kay and I felt. It was just utter, deep agony. So we just didn't know even what to do with ourselves. And so he said, after the police were were done, they they went home. And he said, as we pulled up in our house here in the front porch, was our small group. He said, I need a small group. He said, so we have these people in our lives. We've been a part of this small group for 20 years, and there was everybody in our small group. And they were camped out on our front porch with stuff to stay all night. Because they said, to Kay and I, Rick said, they said, we will not let you be alone. We are with you in your pain. And so he said, my small group literally slept on sofas and slept on the floor that night just because they didn't want us to be alone in our pain. And then Rick said this amazing thing. Pastor Rick said, you know, we learned in that process that there was really nothing they could say. And often, when people are really walking through pain, when you're walking through pain, usually the most helpful thing is not, well, cheer up. Don't you believe the Bible? Cheer up. That's probably, when you're really hurting, that's not the most helpful thing. Or even have Bible verses quoted to you. There's a time for that. But but when just people say, "I'm, I'm just so sorry. But I'm here for you." And he said, that's basically what our small group said. And he said, I've learned this little adage from that experience. The more the pain, the less the words. The less the words. Because sometimes, and this helps us with walking other people through their pain, because sometimes we don't know what to say and so we stay away. Look, you're not under pressure to explain God to other people who are wondering what on earth has God let happen to me you're not under pressure to cheer them up with bible verses you are just there sometimes the worse the pain the less the words pastor rick said and so that's why paul i mean he would talk about this often like like revel like romans 12 verse 15 rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn this is just bearing with one another. This isn't trying to fix each other. This is just rejoicing with those who rejoice. That's the upside of empathy. You know, you've had an accomplishment. You got your degree, you got a big promotion at work or something. And you call a party. You're going to celebrate with your friends. How disappointing when no one wants to rejoice with you. When you call a party and nobody shows up and so you just got to celebrate your accomplishment all alone. I mean, that hurts. I mean, that's part of what we do. We, we, re- we feel each other's joy, and we also feel each other's pain. We mourn with those who mourn. And I want to tell you, all of us need encouragers in our lives, and we also all need empathizers in our lives. And, and the way Jesus has constructed his church, where we're joined and held together, that word, verb held is so fascinating to me, we're joined first, and then we're held together in love. I won't let you be alone in your pain. Encouragers we need, empathizers we need, but we also need, and we may be like this one just a little less, we also need exhorters in our lives. Exhorters. Because I don't know anybody who can ever reach their potential without other people. They say the majority of the really successful CEOs in the world have all had mentors and exhorters in their lives who just called the best out of them. I don't think any Olympic athlete has ever won a medal without a coach in their lives. Some days that coach has been their best friends, and some days that coach has been their biggest nightmare, to be honest, but but they pushed them to the edge so that they could truly reach their potential. We all need this. Paul calls it in Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love. Love. Speaking the truth in love. Everybody say, ouch. Ouch, yeah. But speaking the truth. First of all, in love, not in anger, not in selfishness, not in, I've got an agenda. This is my even time to get even with you. But speaking the truth in love. For instance, for instance, it's right there in chapter uh, Ephesians 4, verse 25, uh, verse 15, I mean instead speaking the truth in love what will happen we will grow when people around us are speaking the truth in love we grow and we become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. that's christ in other words we become more like jesus together as love is spoken into us this sometimes is gospel truth that we speak speaking the truth in love for Paul would start with gospel truth. It's not just criticizing people. It's speaking gospel truth. I tell you, I'm alarmed at how many people in the evangelical world, prominent worship leaders and prominent pastors, are going public with the fact they've left ministry and they've renounced their faith in Jesus. And I want to tell you, that's partly what isolation does. When you're in isolation, when people aren't speaking the truth to you in love, they don't think you need church anymore, when you don't listen to your own sermons anymore if you're the preacher, where you don't do these things, I want to tell you where gospel truth is not constantly being reinforced in our lives, we be, our minds become the playground of demonic lies. We're in a battle. And, and we mature when we speak the truth in love, when we just encourage, when we prod on, when if you see a, a, a brother or sister just beginning to compromise or they don't have that fire in their heart for Jesus like they used to. I mean, I'm grateful for the people who've come to me, taken me aside at personal risk of my rejection and they've spoken the truth to me in love. Say, Jim, I'm a little concerned what I see happening in your heart right now. Because it's part of Jesus' shield around me and Jesus' shield around the body of Christ. And he'll say it again in verse 25. Speak truthfully to your neighbor. In the previous phrase, he says, don't lie to each other. And some of us lies by telling lies, but a lot of us lie by staying a little distant from other people. So they can't really see the other part of our lives. And instead, we're lying with our lives. We're, or We would say we're living a lie. And, and, and you say, hey, uh, would, would you want willing to be one of my prayer partners? No, no I really i am too busy for that. I'm sorry. I don't really have time. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes what's going on is that we don't really want to get that close to people. I think it's the responsibility every one of our ha- us have to make sure there are people in our lives who know how to pray for us, not generally, but specifically in detail. And that means that we're growing and walking this life with them and, and we can confess sin if we need to to one another and everything. But isolate, some of the isolation in the church is people who, who are just living lies. I don't want people to see what I'm really like. So that, that word accountability, that may be for other people, but it's not for me. And so as a result, we're not speaking truthfully to our neighbor. We're just lying with our lives to them. And we're forgetting, as he says at the end of that verse, for we are all members of one body. We all belong to one another. We're all members of one body. So you can see the genius of what Paul was talking about when he talked about circle two in our little diagram. Joined and held together by every supporting ligament. So there are two circle two questions, I think, we need to ask ourselves given all of this the first question is you know who are the encouragers the empathizers and the exhorters in your life who are they i mean could you write a list today if i asked you to write a list and turn it in and, and if you don't have any names i do believe you know you may not need an empathizer right now but you will at some point i do believe even in the even if you're doing fine right now I believe you have to do your homework to make sure that you have encouragers, that you're close enough to people, that you have encouragers, you have, you have empathizers, and you have exhorters. I mean, I have go-to people in my life when I need them. And sometimes I don't feel a huge need of them because I'm not always in crisis or I'm not always wrestling with a, with a problem. But you need to be able to write down people's names and keep working at it until you could list your encouragers, your empathizers, and your exhorters. And they may be all the same names, but you've got them in your life. The second question would then be more of a structural question, and it would be, how is being joined and held together actually happening for me right now? Like, what are the structures that are allowing me to stay joined and held together with the body of Christ, with the Church of the Living God? How is that happening? And one of the great ways I'm very excited about is is our life groups. With the beginning of the pandemic, we actually saw a proliferation of life groups. Thank you, Pastor Anthony, for your great leadership and training, recruiting training leaders. Some of you have stepped up to help facilitate others. I believe God's just calling more of you to do that. And in other words, I mean, if we were connected that way, wow, wow. It would take the ministry potential of our congregation to a whole other level.